we were in the process of relocating our 10 cats from the big island of Hawaii to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And in one of the last trips to the airport, we got smoked by a drunk driver. Um, and he broke my neck in more places than you can count. Uh, thus, in bringing an abrupt end to my organic, non-mechanized farming ambitions. Uh, so we were literally just sitting out there in the middle of the woods, scratching our heads, saying, what's next? And of course, the organic thing was, well, let's go into the big city of Chattanooga. Let's go to the cat cafe. Let's get a cup of tea. Let's sit down. Let's regroup. Let's pivot. Let's make a plan. So we Googled it up, and there was no cat cafe in Chattanooga. And three months later, there was. Welcome to the Startup Heroes Podcast, a place to learn about business from local Chattanooga superheroes sharing their entrepreneurial journey, their superpowers, kryptonite, sidekicks, and villains. You'll learn about the principles and actions it took these founders to build their dreams, and hopefully be inspired to do the same. Thank you for listening. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Startup Heroes. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And today we have our guest, whose name is? Heath. Awesome. Heath, what do you do? I am one of the co-owners of Naughty Cat Cafe. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so we're going to break into the origin story, the superpowers, the weaknesses, and everything of Naughty Cat Cafe and Heath specifically. Um, to start with, what's your origin? Why cats? Why a cafe? Uh, let's see. Um, my partner, my we're not married, but we've been together for 15 years now, so I think we meet the quota. Yeah. Um, when I met her, she had a, a small rescue cat and was already a cat lover, and that was the first cat that I was ever introduced to, but uh, I was very enamored by that animal. <laughs> it was, uh, and now being a cat aficionado, I now realize that that was one small, frail, feeble little rescue cat uh, that definitely won my heart, uh, so I definitely became a, a crazy cat guy instantly. Um, my previous trade was ship's captain for an organization called Greenpeace, and so uh, over the last 15 years, we have lived on all seven continents and wow. uh, everywhere that we would travel that we weren't able to take our own cats with us when we would get boots on the ground we'd say take me to your cats um, <laughs> and more often than not uh, that ended in the, in the concept of a, a cat cafe where we would be so we've been to 60 cat cafes on four continents not with wow. the idea of opening one but just uh, crazy cat lovers traveling the world so we were aware of the concept um, the concept began in the late 90s in East Asia and is actually more prevalent outside the United States than it is inside. So it was always there, but uh, nonetheless, we uh, ended up doing other things with our lives. I, ret uh, I retired from the sea and we moved to Hawaii and we bought an off-grid organic pineapple farm on the big island of Hawaii. And uh, indeed, we worked the land um, very organically, um, non-mechanized, and my wife ran the Humane Society on the big island. So uh, she there she kind of started to transition her love and enthusiasm for cats uh, into a more uh, academic, substantiated knowledge base. So she was uh, everything from the kennel cleaner all the way in the time that she was there, worked her way all the way up to the operations manager. So she really has uh, the full spectrum of knowledge of shelter medicine, yeah. working with animals in a very practical, uh, real, and often sad way. But nonetheless, so she she has the experience base in there, uh, and every. Everything was going swimmingly uh, until that volcano that we were living on started erupting. Yeah. Uh, and we were living off-grid, which was pretty arduous on the most remote island archipelago in the world already. But when uh, you wake up every morning to a 7.0 magnitude earthquake and uh, the sky is full of fog and it's just all a little bit dramatic. Uh, and it was a little too dramatic for us, to be honest. Uh, so. 
uh, we wanted to continue to work the land, and we had lived everywhere, and we don't have children. We just have cats, um, which when you have as many as I do, they start to equate to the same. Um, and we wanted to keep working the land, and we said, where can we do this? And we, we didn't spin the globe, but more or less we did, and we ended up in Chattanooga. Okay. Um, temperate climate, long growing season. We bought uh, over 30 acres of land out in South Pittsburgh on top of the mountain out there in Marion County. Uh, and our aim was to indeed continue to uh, build on our organic farming knowledge and continue to foster cats and, and support the local shelters here uh, and just work the land and be homesteaders. And we were in the process of relocating our 10 cats from the Big Island of Hawaii to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And in one of the last trips to the airport, we got smoked by a drunk driver. Um, and he broke my neck in more places than you can count. Uh, thus, in bringing an abrupt end to my organic, non-mechanized farming ambitions. So we had just relocated 8,000 miles to a place we'd never been, didn't have any friends or family, um, and we're now with a big old piece of land um, that we couldn't do anything with. Uh, we, my wife tried to put in a winter crop on her own, uh, but taking care of somebody who was recovering from spinal reconstruction and doing that and, and taking care of an off-grid farm was too much. Yeah. Uh, so we were literally just sitting out there in the middle of the woods, scratching our heads, saying, what's next? And of course, the organic thing was, well, let's go into the big city of Chattanooga. Let's go <laughs> to the cat cafe. Let's get a cup of tea. Let's sit down. Let's regroup. Let's pivot. Let's make a plan. So we Googled it up and there was no cat cafe in Chattanooga. And three months later, there was. Wow. Um, and so that is, we were quite surprised. We had no finger on our pulse of the community. I have I had one friend from a long time ago who was living in Chattanooga, but not necessarily active in the animal community. So we really had just no feeling for if it would be well received or not. So it was 100% yeah. uh, a gamble in that regard. You know, uh, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, I'm going to try and unpack that a little bit. First of all, my big question is, uh, you've been to Antarctica? It's true. I, the uh, organization I was working for, Greenpeace, was sending a fleet of ice-breaking vessels to the Ross Sea off the coast of Antarctica every year during the whaling season in an attempt to stop the Japanese um, from, uh, from killing the humpback whales. Uh, and in the last expedition that they sent there, uh, I was uh, captain of one of the high-speed inflatable boats. So my remit was to go down there and drive a little rubber boat at high speed in front of a grenade tarpoon. Um, so that's, that's, that's what we did. But that's what took us uh, to the ice shelf and down there. So yeah. didn't live in an igloo in the middle of the South Pole, but uh, spent an entire two seasons there. So okay. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and claim it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and another pressing question, how many cats do you have at home? And that depends on who's asking. Uh, and, and I guess now who's listening. Uh, no. Uh, we have, the record. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, 13 cats at home. Uh, and they are all rescue cats, all of special needs. And um, yeah, uh, a few of them have been foster failures, as you call them, from the shelter. I mean, from the uh, from the cafe over the last two years. Uh, we at the cafe we um, try to only take cats from our partner shelters that have been in the shelter for over a year, mm. abused, hoarded, or neglected, or adopted and returned multiple times. So essentially taking the cats that are going nowhere fast and are not thriving in the traditional shelter environment. And we've had over a thousand cats come through um, 2,000 square feet of what used to be a blockbuster video store uh, in St. Elmo. And of those thousand, we have definitely identified four of them that it was unrealistic based on our experience 
experience to expect someone to come in and to say, yes, I'm here to adopt. I'm interested in a cat that won't live very long, is riddled with uh, chronic disease, and is probably going to run up horrible vet bills and cause a lot of pain, suffering, and anguish. Um, I'll take two of those. Uh, no one says that. And we have definitely encountered cats that meet those that description, and so therefore we've taken them home so that we can fulfill our duty of care to them. So we got the, got the old timers. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so kind of talk us through what a cat cafe entails, sure. what that concept is. And, sure. Yeah. So I think it's really important to preface that my wife, who is the brains of this operation, 100%, um, nor myself, are, are entrepreneurs. Uh, we're, we're animal lovers, and it, the, now being an entrepreneur was the mechanism that we needed uh, in order to achieve our objectives for the cats. Um, it has been a, a very interesting endeavor. Um, we, I have, we both worked for hyper small businesses and we saw those business owners struggle and we saw that that was very masochistic almost and we thought who would want to do that to themselves and it didn't appeal to us whatsoever. But when we saw this opportunity um, present itself uh, to add value to the existing efforts in the shelter, as soon as we arrived in Tennessee, even though we were in Marion County, one of our first stops was to the city shelter uh, so that we could establish a relationship. This is long before we even thought about the Cat Cafe, just so that we could start supporting them, so we could get involved with them, so that we could take uh, the kittens home and foster them for them and all of that kind of stuff. So it didn't take but one or two visits to the county and city shelter before you realized that they were struggling um, on all fronts as all humane organizations are, but especially in terms of the ability to move healthy, adoptable adult animals. Uh, and so that is for my wife and I. So there are 200 cat cafes in the United States. Sorry, I'll try to stay in some kind of coherent conversational order here. But um, And they are all independently owned and operated mom and pop shops. Um, a few of them have uh, uh, two locations, but they are in sister cities just down the road from one another. Yeah. Um, that is because this is uh, at the risk of sounding like a shark tank. Uh, <laughs> this concept is not inherently lucrative. Mm -hmm. There is nothing proprietary by, uh, about it minus the logo that I have trademarked. Um, trademarked. Uh, um, it's not scalable um, as well. And that is because the variables that define how it comes to fruition are hyperlocal, um, county health departments, city ordinances, things like that. Um, so I say all of that to say this, there's not a trade association for a cat cafe. It is a very steep learning curve and one that is often rounded by people who are not uh, uh, business savvy. They're not entrepreneurs. They don't have those traditional skill sets that you would think a small business owner would have. And therefore, the failure rate is over 90%. Yeah. Um, so I'll throw out some numbers over the course of the conversation. And just so that you know that I'm not making them up, I'm, I'm pulling these analytics because there is not a trade association, but there is a Facebook group, of course, Cat Cafe Owners Association. <laughs> My wife is the moderator of this. And so therefore, we see where they attempt and where they thrive and where they fail. And from that information, we draw conclusions and deductions, and that's where we get the failure rate. So nonetheless, um, very steep learning curve. So uh, we, we decided, though, that based on our experience of seeing these all around the world, that there was a lot of potential added value for this concept to offer to the existing efforts in the community to help animals. So we didn't want to parachute in with some kind of, uh, you know, something that was struggling for relevance. We didn't want to have some shiny, neat, cool petting zoo. We only wanted to do it if 
that added value and was fit for purpose in the existing strategy that the shelters had in place on how to maintain and manage a healthy uh, animal population in our community. So we put up the white flag of humility and we met with the executive directors of the shelter and of course they said, listen, if you can if you can deliver on what you're proposing, we're, we're definitely yeah. in. So uh, we went away and, and started to realize that, that what it means to start a small business. Um, we are an LLC, which a lot of people don't realize. And the reason is, is because it is almost impossible to be a 501c3 and be a cat cafe. It is one of the challenges of pioneering a unique concept. And that is because all of the institutional and foundational grant money that one would um, want to get by being a 501c3 is um, that the, that money that's out there that exists is explicitly authored for humane societies and animal shelters. And a cat cafe does not qualify as one of those. And therefore, um, a lot of people go to the uh, effort and energy and time of the fiery hoops of being a 501c3, and they're all dressed up with no place to go. Uh, thankfully, my wife at the Humane Society in Hawaii, one of her remits was to write grants. So she had the foresight to not set us up for this pitfall. So what does that mean if you want to start a room full of cats? You still need money, don't you? And uh, no one wants to use their own private equity because it's a really weird concept. And truth be told, uh, out of every 10 people that we uh, pitched this to in Chattanooga as we were going around finding a, a real estate agent and, 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 and reaching out to the shelters, people were most certainly laughing in our face. Um, and I get it. I'm grounded in reality. The notion of a room full of cats that you have to pay to pet is pretty interrupting for a rural community, a community in general. So, but we, we took it on the chin and we rolled with it and we said, oh, once the, once the, the, once the content text is there, then it will all be, make sense. So nonetheless, despite everyone being a little bit uh, reticent on it, we were, we were up for the risk, but we say, okay, well, what if we go get a small business loan? <laughs> I started by saying that this is not an inherently lucrative venture, and therefore no one down on Main Street wants to give money to a concept that is pretty much unprecedented in our region. Um, there'd never been one before. I think uh, Nashville had one. Um, and it, it indeed doesn't have a business model, doesn't have any earnings to prove, has two people who have never owned a business, so all of the red flags on why not to win, I get it. Also, not really attractive to angel investors for the same reason, not scalable, not nothing scalable. proprietary, right? So uh, it came up zeros there as well. So then we were left with two options, uh, and those two options were to the, do what most cat cafes owners do, and that is crowdsource, GoFundMe, Kickstarter, something like that. So, sure, you can do that. I am very morally opposed to this, at least in for this concept. And the reason is, is with a statistic I referred to earlier, the failure rate is 90%. So I have been in very heated arguments with other owners and proprietors of cat cafes who started theirs with community equity, and they challenge me and they say, yes, um, if I parachute into this community and the community digs into their pockets and makes an initial investment in me, um, in two years time, when I've emptied out the shelter 40 times, the rate of return for the community will be so great that it will have all been well worth it. To which again, I have to remind them how presumptuous that is considering the failure rate. Uh, and also, in any given community, not just Chattanooga, there is already a well-defined group of citizens that give their time, money, and energy to animals. And if you parachute in, indeed, with this shiny kind of fancy cat cafe idea, they will reach into their pockets and they will fund your Kickstarter with the same money from the same pockets that they should have and previously were giving to the shelter who you should be supporting. And it was 
was all it was it, 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 did, it did it did it did it didn't it didn't jive well for us. So we did not take the path of least resistance, and we rolled the dice and we took a home equity line of credit on our home to the tune of one hundred and ten thousand dollars for a room full of cats that we knew at best would never make money. Right. And that's why, and that is why, my partner Whitney it was just named in the top twenty under forty in Chatter Magazine because there was lots of entrepreneurs that they featured, but none of them took it on their own risk for something that they knew at best would not make them rich. Um, and anyway, so yeah, so we uh, we got a home equity line of credit um, and uh, on that farm that we couldn't really do anything with. So we were planning on growing vegetables. We said, let's grow some cats. Yeah. So uh, we, we got the money and we started up and it's um, it's just the two of us, uh, seven days a week. Um, and it has, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know, this is kind of where I transition into the part where most people turn off the radio because it just gets gory um, with the lack of humility. Yeah. Um, because we did roll the dice big time and it is gangbusters over there. Um, and this is, people come in there, so uh, what does gangbusters mean? We are in a third of what used to be a blockbuster videos uh, at the base of Lookout Mountain in a little community called St. Elmo. And we have been there for two and a half years, and we have had over 55,000 guests. Um, uh, that is absurd. Um, and that is a result of our close proximity to Lookout Mountain, because Rock City will bring five million people a year, and not all of them know what a cat cafe is or have ever heard of it, but they find us along the way. So again, location, location, location. It's very important out there, yeah. Uh, of which we fell into. We weren't from here. We were living out in South Pittsburgh. We took that spot because it was the cheapest rent, and it was the only guy that I could convince to let me have 40 cats in a strategically located mercantile space <laughs> that is actually called a medical plaza. Um, so I, we, we got lucky. The gentleman had a very strategic piece of real estate. Uh, he was an out-of-towner. He didn't have any emotional or familial ties to the community. He wanted to flip it. Um, one of the suites lay vacant for an entire year, making it not very marketable. And so when this crazy people said, let us come in there and fill it with cats, it probably wasn't ideal. <laughs> but it filled the leases, and then it allowed him to put it on the market. Um, and so, indeed, that's that's what it worked out for everyone. Yeah. Um, so, we yeah, we've been there, and that's been very key to our success. So we've had a lot of visitors. Um, people of those over 50,000 visitors have come in there. We introduced this concept to all, almost all of them for the first time. They go, they see the success that we've had. They're very enamored by it. Um, and they want to go and, and, and start it where they live because they say, is this successful? And I say, it's such a unique concept. There are so many rubrics to, to define success. Are the lights still on post a first year of introducing a weird concept followed by a global pandemic? <laughs> yep. Um, but the real one is the big chalkboard that we have in the lobby, and that says that in uh, 600 days, we've adopted out 811 cats. Uh, we've emptied the county shelter, the city shelter, and all of the private shelters out over a dozen times in our first year. These, these shelters that previously had signs that hung above their door that said any home is better than the shelter, are now driving to Atlanta, Knoxville, Nashville, and Memphis to get healthy, adoptable adult cats and bring them to us so that we can find homes for them. Um, so the altruistic ripples of this concept in this little bitty room in St. Elmo can be felt across the entire state and into the three contiguous states. Um, that is unprecedented for the concept. Um, and here's where it gets gushy. 
We are the highest rated cat cafe in the world. Um, we are the highest rated business of any kind in the entire state of Tennessee, according to a little bitty website called Google. Um, this is full credit to my wife um, because she is because the, the, if the cats are happy, the people are happy, and then the business thrives uh, kind of in that order. And she has taken such good care of those animals and been so successful in getting them homes. Um, and not just homes, but good homes. Yeah, The rate of return on cats adopted out of the shelter is ridiculous. We have had a negligible amount of cats uh, returned. And that is, uh, if you talk about, so we're talking very much so far from the kind of the business perspective. But if you're not a person or an entrepreneur, if you're cat how does the cat cafe help you the um the added value that this concept offers to the cats and subsequently the community is that we take these cats we put them in these this big lounge and this lounge if you haven't been there guys it's it's fancier than the reed house it is i have art from literally all over the world one-of-a-kind pieces yeah leather couches posh muse i mean it's just a really chill chill vibe yeah and the, the cats come there and the visitors, when they come, they pay a little entry fee. And 100% of this entry fee goes to sustain the hard and fast operations, the food, the medicine, the poop sand for the cats. They spent $12,000 in cat litter last year, okay? <laughs> yeah. um, so that's so the, the, the people who come and visit, they add value because their entry fee sustains the facility for the cats to be there. And then they go back into the lounge and they spend an hour or more with the cats. And the time that they spend with the cats is love and attention and socialization that those animals would not have gotten in a cage in the shelter, and it makes them inherently more socialized and adoptable for the local people who come after them using the facility as an adoption facility. And this is has been one of the most amazing things for me personally to see that this concept has provided for the community. It is one of the only, if not the only, business in Chattanooga that takes revenue from the transient guests, the visitors from out of town, and uses it to wholly fund a facility that is then year-round a resource for the entire community to utilize. Um, and that is awesome. Uh, and so, and, and, and that's why when people come to the Cat Cafe, the very first thing I tell them is that adopting is the, uh, is the goal, but it's not the expectation. Because just by whether you're local or not, just by coming down, paying the entry fee, spending an hour with the cats, you're adding value to all of those cats and the ones that come after them. Um, so that's uh, that's been good. So it's good It's good for the community, it's good for the cats as well, yeah. Um, that so, is insane, that yeah. circle of life that you built of like, adding value, taking a problem that existed already, finding a way to create more sociable animals, getting them out there, grabbing from Atlanta, Nashville, that's insane. Yeah. Um, Wow, this is this is amazing. So, what's something you've learned through owning Naughty Cat that um, maybe you'd want to share with someone that wants to open either their own cat cafe or just sure. their own thing in general? So, if you want to open your own cat cafe, um, we we had in our first year about 18 offers to buy us out. Literally had a gentleman in a tracksuit with a gym bag full of cash. <laughs> Came in there, said my wife and I have been here four times. Every time we come to Chattanooga, like I just what it, I want it. I want it. Yeah. It's, it's not our ambition. 
Uh, we have had a lot of offers to franchise. We have had a lot of offers to uh, to trade or to do all of these things. And my wife and I decided very early on that our goal is to make this the very best one in the world right here in Chattanooga and add the most value for this community and the surrounding areas we can and and just make sure that the quality always supersedes the quantity. Um, so that's kind of our prerogative. Um, so with that being said, uh, things that we've learned have mainly been around the hard and fast business operations because that was our weak point. My wife was already well-versed in how to take care of the cats um, and I just stand up there and explain the concept to people and scoop the poop and things like that. So I kind of struggle for relevance a little bit, but yes, the lessons that we've learned um, have been hard and fast practical ones. And one that I want to ask my wife to please contribute some, some things so that I wasn't just representing myself up here. She quickly came with, we wish that we would have done more due diligence um, around the people who we partnered with in the early days. Mm. Um, and by that, I mean, we chose a, um, we acknowledged that we needed a, an accountant um, and we chose a very highly rated, very reputable accounting firm in the city, but they were not fit for purpose for us. They were too big. Um, and we didn't identify that. We didn't recognize that because of our naivety and inexperience. We very much went with who had the highest profile and who had the highest uh, reputation. Same issue. Uh, Same exactly. And so therefore, um, and, and I didn't want to go with a more mom and pop shop because I don't know that just, you know, uh, you got to go to the fanciest college with the shiniest apostille. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we got through our pretty much our first year um, and painted ourselves in a corner uh, and, and thankfully came into, had this re realization, were able to get out before the first tax filing, get a new woman who came in and saved our life uh, and is, is very small business focused. And anyway, it was very fit for purpose solution, but that was uh, a real stumbling block for us. Um, the same thing um, with, say, um, the, the vendors. We have a procurement policy. Yeah, that's right. Two people in a room full of cats actually had the foresight to say we want a procurement policy both in terms of uh, uh, being equitable and sustainable and local and all of those loaded key buzzwords that everyone likes to use yeah uh, and so w when we went for things like to partner with uh, someone to produce our logo merchandise um, we prioritized them being a local company rather than actually doing our due diligence and checking references and checking other materials that they had produced and we we lost a lot of money on the front end um, because of um, just yeah, poor performance, poor quality, poor choice of partner. Um, and I think that we were re really trying to rush and hurry. There was a big sense of urgency. I know it sounds crazy, but at the time before COVID, a cat cafe was opening somewhere every week. Um, and Chattanooga is on is on fire, as you know. And it, they're such animal lovers already. And you know, I, we were like, oh man, I can't believe this doesn't exist. Like, let's let's not dance around. Yeah, let's yeah. get on this. So uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, choosing uh, the partners. Uh, so whether it was our accountants. Um, uh, or our, our promotional ones. Um, also, uh, the, the commercial realtor. Um, uh, if, if you own a small business and you understand how important a location is, um, you might get sick to your stomach on this one because we did indeed find a strategic location that fit our business model and was at the absolute best location we could possibly get. And because we were in a unique dy uh, dynamic with the negotiations with the owner, not only did he agree to give us a five-year lease, but he agreed to give us several years of options as well, like lots of options. Yeah, And we were so humble and we were so grateful that he was allowing us to have these animals in there. And we didn't, re we wanted 
to pick and choose our battles. So we of like between the um, the letter of intent and the actual executed lease, there was only three small changes, um, and one of them was to give us a whole lot of uh, options to extend if we were successful. And he didn't care because he was planning on flipping the building anyway. So he was just agreeing to things that most people would. Well. Literally on the night before the lease was executed, our commercial real estate representative was cutting and pasting on her laptop the changes that we had agreed to to transfer them from the letter of intent to the final executed version of the lease. And she did not drag down with her cursor far enough. (laughs) And the options were left off when she pasted them onto the final executed lease. We signed it and we went about our business. Well, then fast forward to one year when the building is now up for sale and there's someone that's buying it. And we ha- and, and now they, you know, they, we, everyone's revisiting these leases. And we go back and I'm, I'm looking for the options. I'm looking for the options and I don't see them. And of course, my heart drops. I pick up the phone and I call this person. And the person says, oh, wow, this is, that's, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. Um, and I said, well, I, listen, I, I don't want to point fingers and mistakes happen and all of this, but what, what now? Like, I, do you have, is there such a thing as a professional liability insurance for commercial realtors? And, and there is. It's called errors and exclusions um, for when things like that happen. So I said, uh, very humbly, would you consider like speaking to your colleagues? I mean, because this was quite an era that is going to inherently put a glass ceiling over our potential for the rest of our business. Um, and the follow up was um, in the small print. You, it says that you are responsible for reading the final executed version of the lease and you didn't catch it. And so I didn't catch it, but you didn't catch it either. And therefore, we're not liable for that. So I've, I've tried over so many months to find a, an appropriate analogy, but I feel like it's if I hired a general contractor to build my home and after the first strong wind, it fell over. And when I called him, he told me, I told you, you should have counted the number of nails. <laughs> In the contract, you were supposed to check to make sure that the studs were the right distance apart. I took it for granted because we contracted this person and went into a professional partnership with them on the presumption that they would be our representation and that they were the experts and that this exact, this type of error wouldn't happen. Their fine tooth comb would come out. And that's, and that, yeah. and hence that is the impetus behind bringing them into the transaction to begin with. So it was very unfortunate. Um, very fortunate that for the, the five years that we have the lease, it has been so key to our success and it has given us a good start. So I try not to get too bogged down on it. But again, I, I bring you back to the point, choosing our partners more carefully. Um, but we didn't know anybody here and we didn't have a frame of reference. And so it was literally me Googling like accountants, corporate real estate, you know, stuff like this. And so that's, uh, yeah, local connections. I wish we would have had, yeah. For so sure. kind of networking almost like <laughs> meeting other small business owners. Hey, how, how who have you used it or it's true. Hasn't it's true. And now that we've been here running the small business for two and a half years and we've become, we live in Chattanooga, I realize that this building exists that folks like you exist, that initiatives like this podcast exist, that there are resources out there, um, but we didn't know. Um, And it was because we'd never done this before, uh, and we don't have any business background at all, and we were living in an adjacent town, uh, and so, yeah. uh, But now hopefully someone's gonna hear 
what happened to you? And they'll be like, oh, that's something I need to watch out for. And, and, and you're right. And so basically we had all of those people in the early days come and say, let's franchise this, let's scale this. And we said, no, let's not. But I could see that the wheels had started turning and that they were going to go back to their towns and attempt to make this come to fruition. And purely out of a will to not set them up to fail, we started a YouTube channel. Not with the ambition to be an influencer or to monetize it, but so that we could have a space online where we could put content for people who want to start a cat cafe. And we made two videos, and it is how to start a cat cafe. <laughs> and one is four minutes, and one is like 12 minutes. And in that less than 20 minutes, we went through all of the pitfalls that we experienced. And we did so not as a step-by-step how to start a cat cafe, but as an identifier of the things that you need to be able to say yes to. To before you quit your day job. Um, like, do you have the equity? Do you know somebody who's going to write you $2 million of general liability insurance for a room that has definitely got risks um, and things like yeah. that? And ironically enough, it has really flourished. Um, we have posted a, a bunch of content on our YouTube channel um, about cat care and product reviews, but the content that has really taken off and it, uh, is really getting the, the most... Uh, uh, attention it are these two videos. Uh, so when we wanted to do this, uh, we realized that well, it's not rocket science, it's a room full of cats and that there were going to be some business challenges, but that, that we also remained humble in that we weren't the first people to do this. There were 200 cat cafes. Yeah. So we said, let's call somebody who's already doing this and see if we can get some advice for them. So a woman owns one of these in Atlanta. It's called Java Cats. She's actually one of the few that has two locations. She's been around for a few years, very capable, competent woman, uh, very professional business background. So we wrote an email and we said, hey, we'd like to, we're trying to start one of these just up the road from you. We'd love to come and pick your brain. Week went by, no response. Two weeks went by, no response. Then we wrote again and her assistant responded and said, yes, this woman would love to consult you on your endeavor for $100 an hour. She's available in two months. <laughs> so my wife and I looked at each other and we put $50 of gas in the truck and we drove to the cafe in Java uh, in Atlanta and we interviewed all of the employees and we hung out there for two hours and we gleaned more added value and information from the people who were actually there making the concept work every day than we would have ever had from some mental masturbation exercise with someone. So but we were always very resentful of that, that this yeah. woman didn't make time for us until I had 50,000 people come into my little room going, hey, how'd you start this? How do I start a cat cafe? Is it hard? What do you have to do? You know? And so yeah. then I said, okay, I get it. It's not, it's not realistic that I am doing this. So we created this a open source. Answer. Exactly. Yeah. We created an open source resource for people to come and to just do a solid gut check before they start mortgaging their home or yeah. quitting their day job. Uh, so and what's the name of the YouTube channel? Naughty Cat Cafe. Awesome. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and just keeping it simple. And like I said, it's just a whole bunch of, and again, funded by the entry fees that the transient guests are paying and creating an online resource because while there are two videos about how to create a cat cafe, the, the majority of the content is how to introduce kittens, why to introduce or why to adopt cats together, what to feed your cat, how to stop your cat from scratching, uh, all yeah. of these like practical hands-on knowledge for the local community to use as a resource. Yeah, so uh, wrapping up, we want to ask two parts, uh, kind of the main concept of startup heroes one what do you think are you and your partners superpowers and then two what are y'all script tonight so i think what is the intangible part of our success again aside from my wife's tremendous amount of talent is that our purpose is beyond profit and people want to be a part of something positive 
all right? I've been saving it the whole time. Fuck Bomba socks. <laughs> yeah? And here's why. Because it is a company that said, we're going to make profit, and along the way, we're going to give some poor people some socks. And I'm, not, I'm just, I'm being harsh. I'm being critical, right? But my point is this, is we said, we're going to save some cats. We're going to help the local shelters. And we're going to have to mortgage our home along the way. We're going to take a, a tremendous amount of ridicule and humiliation. 50,000 people have come in there, and I've told them that they have to pay $13 in the form of a donation to pet rescue cats. If I could tell you the amount of people that laughed in my face, yeah, and I get it. Again, I'm grounded in reality. I'm the crazy cat guy, but I'm not from outer space. It is interrupting until you understand what it's all about. But that is demoralizing. Yeah. Um, and what's also been very, uh, well, anyway, so, yes, I would say that our, the fact that our whole mission the fact that we have a mission statement and that it is altruistic and it doesn't have the word money or profit or revenue or margins in it is, is our superpower yeah people see that it's transparent they want to be a part of it yeah? so start with why concept yeah. starting with yeah. your purpose your why and and then and, the you just, and how are we got to do it to get there yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure okay. so that's the superpower the weakness is is that um, we are all th these aren't toasters these are cats. These are living things. It's not. It's not merchandise on a shelf. These are. I mean, moving product. Yeah, exactly. And we're biocentrists. Google it. Uh, <laughs> and, and and so therefore, for us, it is. These are human beings. These are my children. Yeah. Uh, and some people get that. And if you get it, if you know, then you know. And if you don't, then then humor me. But these are my children. So therefore, people. We've created a space where people come in there and they want to adopt these cats. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, not everyone can adopt the same cat. So you know, there's managing relationships we have a lot that's what i should have said we have a lot of emotional equity in what we do now screw the mortgage on the home the emotional equity and so therefore we are it, the we suffer from compassion fatigue mm -hmm. um and compassion fatigue is is kind of endemic of people who work in humane kind of you know charitable nonprofit animal things like that's not uncommon but we get the that element of it but then we get compounded with what i call general public fatigue as well um, and, 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 and that's getting beat up on the daily um, for the, the burden of introducing and pioneering such a new concept. Luxury problem, happy to do it. <laughs> do it seven days a week, all day long. Yeah. But because they're not toasters and because this is, uh, we, we prioritize quality over quantity, we don't hire anybody. It's at this point right now where the proof of concept had been established and everything is thriving and firing on all cylinders that a normal small business owner would look to start working on it instead of for it yeah but we don't have that luxury because we have to be down there seven days a week we can't even hire someone to come in to scoop the poop because looking at the litter box is a very important way to tell the, the health and well-being of the animals uh so i mean you know it's like hey, people are like oh the most mundane task you know go in there and and and, and clean this or something everything uh, has to be micromanaged like that. And so that is our weakness, is that we have so much emotional equity and we are a bit painted in a corner because we can't uh, outsource, we can't bring in help, we can't do anything like that. And so what we've done is we've acknowledged that because right now our largest char our charge is to manage our success. Again, luxury problem. But it's acknowledging that it's not sustainable for us to work at that rate and it's for the cats as well. So we just said, we're gonna leave a lot more money on the counter. We're going to be open five days a week. We're only going to, the health department says that we could have 52 guests in our small space with 45 cats pre, post, during COVID at any time, 52. We said 15. 
Um, yeah, and, and why is that? Because before we opened this, we read every single online guest review ever written of this concept. We even translated them from Mandarin Chinese. Uh, and there were one of the, the two big uh, criticisms were too many people, not enough chats. In any other business, they would maxim maximize the capacity and they would fill it all. But we say, we're going to leave a ton of money on the table, but we're going to make this a sustainable, healthy, happy space where the guests and the cats can thrive. Yeah. That's amazing. You guys have anything? Just, that's incredible. Like, your level of dedication is really, like, just phenomenal. Um, like, with, like, Scenic Trend, like, we constantly work with people who, like, you know, they start businesses with the goal of, like, we want to help the community. We want to do, like, this cool project in Chattanooga that nobody else is doing. And we just see it way too often where they either get approached by, like, you know, a guy with the bag full of money and they end up selling out. Or, like, the second they have, like, a big slip-up, like, what you had happened to you guys or how, anything like that, mm. they just fold and they go and to get, like, a regular day job. And the fact that, like, you've kept this going, not just from, like, a, you know, just meeting your goals and just coasting by, but, like, you guys have really, like, like thrived right. and just, like, done everything you can to go above and beyond. That's amazing. And I, I'm almost like, I, I almost don't understand like the drive that you have and how you're able to do that. Like the fact that you're just so driven by your cause purely. I mean, you know, it's in any community, uh, I'm sure somebody very intelligent and insightful has said some quite a quote about this, but I feel like how you treat animals is a very good litmus test of the morality, if you will, of your community. Uh, and unfortunately, the resources available in communities never meet the mark of the ambition um, to do that. Uh, and yeah, and, and to be honest, my wife and I never had anything. We came from very humble beginnings. Um, I did indeed fall into that uh, trap that you have to go to the best college and get the shiniest apostille. And when, uh, and I during the Clinton days, they gave me the quarter of a million dollars um, without collateral to do that. And so when I graduated college, if you will, I had a quarter of a million dollars of educational debt at a 17% interest rate. Thanks, Citibank. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I, I never thought that I would get that down. I never thought, so we just kind of, our whole premise has always always been what would you do every day if you had to do it for free um and this is and that's and that's pretty much our passion yeah uh, it's just not our prerogative to i don't know we we love cats yeah and we love animals uh and animals need more help yeah that's that's all there is to it yeah yeah, yeah i mean uh this is just amazing to me. Like I, I've always grown up around cats. I every uh, friend that comes into town, I try to take them up to the cat cafe because I just love it so much. Um, this is just really awesome. I, I love being able to like sit here and talk to you about cats. It's kind of just like my dream almost. <laughs> so this is amazing. Yeah, have you thought about like writing a book yet? Because your story is just amazing. Like every aspect of it. Like. Uh, I don't know, like, um, if this is, like, quite what you're doing, like, what you're describing earlier with, like, Greenpeace, it's, like, like the show, like, Whale Wars, as you really think, like, as a kid, I loved watching that, <laughs> and, like, the idea of, like, actually going out there and, like, helping the world, like, that's phenomenal, that's so cool. And now you're doing it from your backyard. <laughs> uh, and you know what, on a very, very selfish level... Um, that's awesome because working with a global nonprofit trying to save the world is a very David and Goliath kind of 
exhausting battle because very seldom do you ever have a win that is measurable, that's tangible, that you can like say, let's celebrate that. Because as soon as you get one win, there's another disaster, another tree getting cut down, another whale getting shot. And this is, like I said, from a very selfish perspective, one of the first times that we've dedicated our time energy to something where we can see real, real results on the daily basis. Like the, in January of this year, the executive director of the Hamilton County Humane Society called us and said, guys, we've got a problem. We're out of cats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, 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 and she said, it's a luxury problem, to which I got all nervous. I said, yes, ma'am, but it's a problem nonetheless for the guy who has billboards in three states that say 30 cats. Um, but that for me was, wow, this is, a, this is something that we should celebrate. Um, and then it was a really interesting endeavor to, for this, this shelter to now change a institutional prerogative of, God, we got to get these cats out of here. We've got to get these cats out of here. To the shelter is empty. We need cats. <laughs> Um, and then they had, then they, they, they took the initiative and good on them at the highest level of the senior management team over there. They recognized that, uh, that the, that this, the added value will continue. There is a long tail value if they can uh, build a system to support it. And that's when they reached out and they formed partnerships and relationships with the adjacent counties and the more rural shelters that don't have the resources uh, to do that. Uh, and a hundred percent of the adoption fee at Naughty Cat goes back to the shelters so that they have the financial resources to trickle down to those smaller ones to get those animals spayed, neutered, microchipped, uh, vaccinated, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, That's incredible. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up, but I want you to tell us uh, 30 seconds or less, um, how can someone find their passion and when they do, what should their next step be? A cat cafe is just like anything else. You can do it or you can do it really well. And I think it is, it behooves you and anyone that you partner with or that invests in you to have that honest conversation in the beginning. Am I in it to win it? Would I do this for free? Uh, these type of questions. Um, and it's not, it's, not, it's not theoretical, it's a gut check, I would say. Um, and then I, one, one phrase, so that I can be succinct, that I have gone over and over in my head and I think would be universally applicable to anyone trying to be an entrepreneur. And that is, in every instance, you have to ask yourself, do you want to be right or do you want to win? Mm. Um, and my wife and I are very in principle. We're very, uh, we have a moral compass that doesn't deviate. Uh, and there's been many places where we wanted to be right um, but we had to realize that we needed to win for the cats. And that requires tongue in cheek, swallowing your pride, taking it on the chin, doing the things that you don't want to do. And it's the battle with the wall. It's uh, every day. I'm just asking myself, all right, on this issue right here with this Karen or with this Susan, do, do I want to be right and explain to this woman why you don't declaw cats and turn them outside, you know, and, yeah. you know, an offender and the, or do, do I want to win by informing her, uh, and creating a space to educate. Yeah. And Education like versus condescension. And, and you know what? I'm, 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 I'm 42, but I'm like a 12-year-old inside sometimes, you know? And I get very emotional. I get very passionate. I wear my mind on my sleeve, and I definitely lose my shirt. And uh, keeping my shirt all buttoned up so that I can that I can win and not always be right, I think, is something that I use as a, a grounding grounding rod. Keep coming back to that, yeah. That's amazing. All right. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can uh, naughtycatcafe.com, of which... 
1.2 million people will visit this year. Uh, we're on Instaspam and Bookface, and we've got a YouTube channel, and uh, we're actually about to start live streaming in the evenings on Naughty Cat Cam After Hours Cam, so keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, just come down and love on those cats in St. Elmo. Um, our, our, our motto is escape reality, shed stress, save lives. And that's that's what's going on. That's amazing. Well, that's our episode of Startup Heroes. Uh, thanks for listening. Again, I'm Chris. I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And we had Heath from Naughty Yep. Thanks for listening. This podcast brought to you by Hive Think Media. If you like this podcast and you want to stay in the know of what's going on with us, follow us at Hive Think Media on Instagram or check us out at HiveThinkMedia.com. Thank you for listening.